Today, we go to Argentina to talk about Recoleta Cemetery, which is called one of the most beautiful in the world. Over 6,400 statues, sarcophagi, coffins, and crypts commemorate some of Argentina's most celebrated people in this labyrinthine city of the dead. One of these is the resting place to a very revered woman, a woman who reached near sainthood to her people. What lies beneath? Eva Peron. This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. and taphophiles, I'm your host, Lachelle. My best friend and Mr. Hubster, Brad, is with me today. Hey, love. Hi, love. How's it going? It's going good. Here we are again. Here we are again. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. And guys, I wanted Brad as my co-host on this episode because he spent almost 18 months in Argentina on a church mission and learned so much about the history and the people of Argentina and just had a lot of great experiences there that I thought would just really lend to this. And you also actually went to the grave of Eva Perón. Yeah, we did. It was almost a pilgrimage. Everybody had to go see <laughs> the crypt of Eva, Evita. Of Evita. She was the wife of Argentina's president, Juan Domingo Perón, during the, the 19, 50s. late 40s and 1950s uh, was when they were a thing. And she was really the bigger person of that, of that partnership. Yeah, you hear a lot more about <clears throat> her than you do about her husband. Yeah. Who was the president. <laughs> he was the president, but she was the famous one, and his popularity fell pretty quickly after she passed. Yeah. She was fondly known to the people as Evita. She played a major role in her husband's administration. She was widely remembered for her efforts to help the poor and for her role in helping women win the right to vote. She was practically worshipped and revered as as just a rock star mm. there to the country and beloved by her people. Even in the 80s when you were there, did you hear mention of her or see pictures or things of yes, her? Yes, all the, all the Peronista party banners would have her on them still and you would see graffiti on walls and buildings and murals of her. She was big. Yeah. Wow. Before we get into her story, let's talk about this cemetery that she was in, right? You know, it's, cemetery. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. It, From everything I've seen, it is just stinking amazing. Yeah, we went there. It's in a posh part of town, and we were serving more in the poor sections outside of Buenos Aires. And 
We went there because there across the street there was a lush park that had a Kentucky Fried Chicken. And, <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken. And when we wanted a piece of finger licking home, we went to <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken. And then of course we went across the street and toured the cemetery. And what was your thoughts about it? To me, it reminded me a lot of the cemeteries in New Orleans. I went mm -hmm. there as a, a young boy and all the the famous streets and crypts above ground more than a graveyard mm -hmm. cemetery. And so to me, that really stood out because I have very little experience with those type of cemeteries coming from Arizona. Right. That makes sense. And the mausoleums and crypts were very elaborate and posh. And there was a saying that goes, that went down there, where that the people live better dead than they did alive. Oh, these graves and mausoleums Sad. were so so fancy. So right. You mentioned before when we talked about it, then it really smells bad. Yeah. Argentina and Buenos Aires in the, in the summertime is probably a lot like New Orleans where it's hot and humid and there was a distinct smell walking through that place and some of the other cemeteries that we toured. Maybe, wow. Yeah, there was another one called Chacarita that it smelled even worse and sometimes wow. there was stuff oozing out <gasps> of the crypts. Ew. So anyways, but yeah. Anyways. Yeah, lots of character and ambiance, yeah. <laughs> Lots of ambiance. <laughs> you have the smell of death to accompany you. I actually haven't ever been to a cemetery that smelled bad. I'm sure other people have, but I have not. And it could have been that, or it could have been the, you know, oh, garbage I'm, across the street. But I'm yeah. sure it was that. Recoleta less so than Chacarita, but yeah. mm. in, in that humid, sultry climate, you get all sorts of. Oh, fun smells. Oh, joy. Okay. But that was something that I always think of when you talk about the cemetery. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. La Recoleta Cemetery, or in Spanish, Cemeterio de la Recoleta, is in Buenos Aires, Argentina. There's so many beautiful tombs here that in 2011, the BBC hailed it as one of the world's best cemeteries. And in 2013, CNN listed it among the 10 most beautiful cemeteries in the world. Did you know that you'd been to one of the 10 most beautiful? I, I go to the best. You know? you, that's right. We, yeah. just, we just go right to the best. From the beginning, it's amazing. You go through a neoclassical Doric columned entrance on the hilly Plaza Francia. It's like a miniature metropolis spreading into its own city blocks stone streets with street names, shadowed alleys, and even a tree-lined city center. Marble mausoleums with cathedral domes, winged angels, my fave, and statues by notable Argentine sculptors, stained glass fronts, and brass plaques. And most of the materials used between 1880 and 1930 in the construction of the tombs were imported from Paris and Milan. You know, Buenos Aires is kind of known as the Paris of South America. Oh, I did read that. It's very European. It's more European than you would think, than even American. 
So um, they would say the architecture is French and half the people speak Italian, they're Italian immigrants, so much influence from Italy and France and Argentina. And from Spain as well, is that correct? Yes, the culturally a lot of French and Italian influence. Gotcha. And, and the cuisine is even, the food is even heavily Italian, along with beef. That's what's for dinner. <laughs> beef is for dinner. Okay, you have to tell this part about what you ate for lunch every day, which just blows me away. Yeah, every day we'd go into just a little hole-in-the-wall mom-and-pop cafe, and we would get, it was so cheap, this was the early 80s, we would get the equivalent of like a T-bone steak that covered the plate, homemade French fries made from real potatoes, not frozen, <laughs> and a Coke to kill the parasites, and that would cost a dollar. One dollar. One dollar. So we rarely cooked. We ate out oh, once my a word. day. Yeah. <laughs> and gained lots of weight. Well, you were skinny back then, so that's okay. But I just can't even imagine that. It's so good. T-bone for a dollar. The cemetery is an eerily beautiful place with shadowed walkways, towering marble mausoleums, rich in Art Deco, Art Nouveau, Baroque, and Neo-Gothic architectural styles, Masonic symbols, and powerful religious iconography. Over 90 of the tombs are listed as National Historical Monuments. The most visited tombs are those of Eva Perón and former Argentine presidents Sarmiento and Raúl Alfonsín. In the early 80s, when I was in Argentina, I was there for the election of Raúl Alfonsín. And it was the first election that the Argentines had had after many years of military dictatorships. I think it was 1980. Three. Wow. Yeah, and so it was a big deal. And so I have memories of the campaign of walking in small little um, town village streets and there would be campaign offices of the Peronistas and Alfonsine was from a political party called the Radicales. And we thought, wow, they're <laughs> radical. But the radical. no, in Spanish, radical means from the roots, you know, oh. like grassroot party, you know. Oh, okay. And so it was a big deal. And and there was still, during these days of military, military dictatorships, there were soldiers on street corners with with machine guns. And it was very intimidating for, for an American. Yeah. We just didn't know times like this. And people didn't really feel free. And, and so this was a big deal. And... I have memories of walking past the Peronista Party headquarters in, on certain streets, and they'd be blasting this music out <laughs> loudspeaker called the March of Peronista. And it, it was one of those songs that just hailed from the times of, of, of Juan and Evita Peron. Oh, wow. And yeah, so I have vivid memories of, of my first few months in Argentina. And during on the night of the election in the town next to where I was living, the the Radicale campaign office was bombed. <gasps> and I didn't even know about it. My mother Whoa. sent me a, an article from the Arizona Republic later saying right. the, the bomb went off near where you guys were on election <laughs> night. And we were going, oh. holy cow, where are we? You know, but yeah. it was big times and, and there was high emotions after 
being under military rule for most of 10 years and not mm -hmm. having a, a lot of freedoms. And the people, Alphonsine won the election and, and kind of brought more democracy and, and freedom back to Argentina. Um, so it was tense, tense times. And I still, still yeah. just can remember how it felt just so intense and, and mm -hmm. really made you feel grateful for the freedoms we have. Our politics are ugly, but not like this kind of ugly, you know? Yeah, yeah. So um, getting back to La Recoleta Cemetery, it resides in a neighborhood of the same name, and it was once an orchard of the adjoining Basilica Nuestra Señora de Pilar, the glistening white church that overlooks the square outside. The land which belonged to the, the Recolette monks, from which the neighborhood took its name, became the city's first public cemetery in 1822. Its layout was designed by French engineer Prospero Cataline, who also designed the city's Metropolitan Cathedral and the Plaza de Mayo. I should say, I should note out that in Argentina, the way they speak Spanish, you would probably think Mayo, the month of May, mm -hmm. is how they would say it, but um, Cinco de Mayo and things like that. But right. in Argentina, they, they talk a little different, and the Ys they say is a sha, especially in Buenos Aires. And, and that type of dialect is called porteño, or from the, the port, like the the shipping port, which mm -hmm. Buenos Aires sits on. So it'd be called the Plaza de Mayo down there. We're always making fun of him because he'll he'll call common things like tortillas, like tortillas. And <laughs> we're always like, uh, why do you say it like that? Yeah. But it's what he learned and what you're using. And they are very, they're very proud that they don't speak Spanish or Espanol. They speak Castellano, Castilian. Mm. So okay. It's a it's, it's kind a little of a different. Little different. The cemetery is open daily. There are free guided tours in Spanish. The city tourist board also offers a guided tour of the cemetery in the wider Recoleta neighborhood once a week. Don't forget to pick up a map at the entrance. As with many large cemeteries, it's really helpful to know where mm -hmm. you're going and how to find the people you're there to see. Which is so true. Yeah. So one of these days, I want you to take me there and we'll go visit. That would be these great. Cemeteries. We be need fun. to do that trip. We haven't done that one yet but it's on the list. Yeah. <laughs> Always talk about my list. So what we need to look out for when we go to the cemetery, some of the famous mausoleums to see, um, one of them is of the Paz family who owned the Palacio Paz. Today, the Circulo Militar on Plaza San Martin, as well as the newspaper La Prensa, is a majestic black stone structure adorned with gigantic marble angels and Masonic imagery. The beautiful Art Nouveau tomb of Rufina Cambaceres is another iconic tomb from the early 1900s. It was built in Carrera marble by Rufina's mother, after it was discovered that Rufina had mistakenly been buried alive. Whoa. The tomb's design bears all the hallmarks of her family's terrible grief. 
and people call her the girl who died twice. Rufina Cambaceres was a 19-year-old socialite. In 1902, Rufina had grown into a beautiful young woman. While getting ready to attend a show, Rufina suddenly and without warning collapsed onto the floor. Doctors were called in, and supposedly three doctors pronounced the young Rufina dead of a heart attack. Rufina was put in a coffin and sealed in her mausoleum, and a funeral was held. Now, some sources said that she was put in a chapel to be buried later. So the details right there were fuzzy. I saw several that were different. Urban legends, you know. A few days later, a cemetery worker found that the coffin had moved and the lid was moved and broken in pieces. And some sources said that they had actually heard screams. Wow. I know. Fearing grave robbery, the family had it opened and found something even worse. Scratch marks covering the inside of the coffin and Rufina dead, but her hands and face were scratched from having tried to break her way out of the coffin. This is literally my worst fear. I can't think of anything more terrifying. Yeah. In the 1900s, sometimes they didn't diagnose you quite correctly. <laughs> Sad. This is a total Edgar Allan Poe story. There's like several of these, you know? Well, exactly. And the explanation the doctors were had said to have given later was that Rufina had suffered an attack of catalepsy, which is this classic buried alive diagnosis and actually used in Poe's The Premature Burial. So it's the same diagnosis. And Usher and right. so many of he them. He loved that diagnosis. Yeah. And she later awakened in her coffin only then to die of shock or heart attack or lack of air, exhaustion, whatever. Or all of the all above. the above. No kidding. Afraid of the dark. So that is the legend. Okay. I don't know, obviously, what really happened, but I'll stick you with a pen. <laughs> make sure. <and> you know. <laughs> oh yeah. Please make sure I'm dead. Okay. I'm sure by now. Yeah, can't have that. It, it just doesn't really happen, but. As well, especially because most people are embalmed or cremated, like, anyway. Stick you with the needle in the toe before that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Her tomb is a stunning Art Nouveau masterpiece of a tomb with sculpt sculpted orchids and a soulful life-size sculpture of the young woman holding the door to her own mausoleum. That's pretty amazing, right? Wow. Though the story of her tragic death has never been verified, it has captured the hearts of thousands of visitors to Rufina's grave. And they say it was built by her mother as a tribute to what had happened to her. They owed her at least that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Another notable grave is that of Isabel Wieluski Colonna, the illegitimate grandchild of Napoleon Bonaparte, who also resided here. 
Wild, right? Yeah, no Frenchy influence there. But she was just a baby. Isabel was born in Buenos Aires and died at the age of six days. She is the daughter of Alexander Florian Joseph, a Polish and French politician and diplomat who is widely rumored to be the illegitimate son of Napoleon I by his mistress, Countess Marie Raluska. Interesting, right? Yeah. Every cemetery has a ghost story, and Recoleta is no exception. David Eleno worked for 30 years as a cemetery gravedigger, carefully saving his money for his own plot and a statue of himself. It is said that as soon as the architect he had commissioned for the statue had finished the work, Elena went home and killed himself. Apparently, you can still hear his keys jangling as his ghost walks the cemetery's narrow pathways at dawn. Wow. Well, That's right? good stuff. Another notable grave, the family pantheon of Dorego Ortiz Vesaldo, is one of the largest and most majestic structures in Recoleta Cemetery. The mausoleum built for the members of a wealthy landowner features a sculptured virgin lighting a seven-branch candelabrum. She is in a large niche with basically a cathedral over her. It's amazing. I can only imagine the money these people had. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, look at that thing. Yeah. Wow. has a cross at the top. I mean, doesn't it just kind of look like a mini cathedral Yeah. with it set inside a niche with candelabra, we would, or candelabrum. Yeah. So definitely something to see. Also, there's the grave of a notable Argentine boxer nicknamed the Wild Bull of the Pampas, Luis mm -hmm. Angel Firpo. He was widely popular across Latin America in the 1920s. On his passing in 1960, he was buried in a vault behind a life-size statue of him in his boxing uniform. In 2003, he was named as one of the 100 greatest punchers of all time. <laughs> wow. Oh, I love it. I mean, what a list to be on. One of the 100 greatest punchers of all time. The wild bull of Las Pampas. Now, yeah. that, that's, that's pretty serious. You can only see him in his boxing robe. It's not like you see him with his boxing shorts. He's wearing a belted robe. And so he just kind of looks like a dude that just got up on Saturday morning. Only with boxing shoes on. Well, yeah, true. <laughs> it just is kind of funny. So there's also Admiral Guillermo Brown. And he was known also as William Brown. And he was an Irish-born admiral and founder of the Argentine Navy. His tomb features sea and sailing carvings, and the mausoleum was partially built with melted-down bronze from the cannons of the battleships he once commanded. That's pretty cool. The exterior of the tomb is painted green in honor of his Irish heritage. I remember street names of Guillermo Brown. Um, oh. Very common street name. Yep. I like this next one. Another hauntingly beautiful bronze statue is that of 26-year-old Liliana Crociati de Sazak, who was in Innsbruck, Austria in February 1970 when she was killed by an avalanche. Oh. Her tomb was designed by her mother in the neo-Gothic style. 
In contrast to the other tombs in the cemetery, the inside of her tomb is said to be reconstruct a reconstruction of her bedroom. That's different, right? Wow. Can you make mine like my bedroom? Yeah. I'm looking the real, at it right now. <laughs> the real comfortable bed. A life-size green bronze statue of Liliana in her wedding dress sits adjacent to her tomb. Following the death of Liliana's beloved dog, Sabu, a bronze statue of the dog was added, with Liliana's hand resting on the dog's head. His nose is shiny from all the pets and rubbing he gets. You know how in bronze statues, yeah. like when people touch it, so the end of his nose is all shiny. Pretty classic. But it's like she's kind of on a pedestal, big square pedestal, and there's like plants growing. So it's kind of like she's standing on this greenery and in her gown with her doggy by her. Yeah. When Argentina's seventh president died in Paraguay at the age of 77, a soaring obelisk crowned with a huge condor was erected to mark his tomb. Sarmiento is remembered for promoting education for Argentine children and women and democracy for Latin America. Sarmiento designed his ostentatious tomb himself before his death. A general of the Argentine War of Independence, General Tomás Guido, joined the revolution in May 1810, helping to negotiate the independence from Spain. His son was a poet and politician, not a builder, at, and yet he built his father's stony vault in the loving tribute with his own hands. The crypt is a bit lumpy and covered with stone and greenery, it has a certain hobbiton or fairy home car <laughs> that is sweet, especially when compared to the surrounding lavishness. Isn't that funny? So it's just kind of cute. It is just kind of this lumpy little house with a cross on it and with a little door, but it kind of reminds you of... Yeah, with ferns growing out the sides <laughs> and between the, the stones. The it's kind of like place. a little hobbit, a little hobbit grave. Yeah. The mausoleums are still being used by rich families in Argentina that have their own vault and keep their deceased here. While many of the mausoleums are in fine shape and well-maintained, others have fallen into disrepair. Several can be found with broken glass and littered with trash. Among many memorials are works of notable Argentine sculptors, Lola Mora and Luis Perlotti. Now full, La Recoleta's mausoleums rarely come up for resale. Two years ago, someone forked out 250,000 US dollars for a spot <gasps> on the eternal rich list. Whoa. That's some expensive real estate. And finally, we're at the tomb of Eva Peron. Although she died in 1952, her body wasn't interred in the Duarte family mausoleum for 20 years. Evita lies in a heavily fortified crypt some five meters underground, which is like 22 feet, I believe. Yeah. And this is to protect her remains. Wow. We'll get to that in a bit. Her grave is along an alley and is a family tomb. We've talked about those in recent episodes. It has brass plaques all over the front, and her plaque uses her maiden name, Duarte. I assume since it is her family's tomb, she's not buried with her husband. No. 
There's a gate with kind of a trellis looking type front in brass and it can usually be found just full of flowers stuck in those holes and crowds of people. Yeah. When we went there, we went there and because we, we just had to see her grave because she was so famous and we'd heard so much about her, but we all took photos of ourselves like clapping in front of her grave because as, as on our mission, we'd go visit families, we'd clap outside their front door to as we would knock here to tell them somebody's here to come open yeah, up. Yeah, you don't go and knock on the doors. No, you don't you approach clap. the, you clap outside the house. So we took pictures of ourselves clapping outside of the Vita's <laughs> mausoleum here. So knock, we thought knock. that was kind of funny. Yeah, sounds like something 19-year-old guys would do. Yep. Maria Eva Duarte was born in Los Toldos, Argentina on May 7th, 1919 to Juan Duarte and Juana Ibergurin, and they were unmarried. They had five children together, and Eva was the youngest. Eva had three older sisters and one older brother. Her father, Juan, worked as the estate manager of a large, successful farm, and the family lived in a ramshackle house on the main street of their small town. And it's not just that her parents were unmarried, but Juana and the children shared Juan Duarte and his income with his first family, which was a wife and three daughters who lived in a nearby town. Wow. Yeah. That's still how it happens. Um, oh. You can, there's no, or at least when I was there and in these times, there was no divorce in Argentina because of the Catholic Church and their laws. Oh. And so there wasn't, you know, getting divorced and getting a fresh start. You just kind of left your first family and made your second family or okay. had other things going on the side. So that's what is going on there. Okay. So did they lots of times... Was it kind of like polygamy where they had several families at the same time? Or was it more like in the divorce type situations where they just kind of left and started over? Yeah, they left and started over. It wasn't so uh, much polygamy where they were all... Where they had different families the at the same time. larger family. No, hmm. they... Interesting. This was them dealing with what, what was possible. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Not long after Ava's birth... The central government, which had previously been run by wealthy and corrupt landowners, came under control of the Radical Party, okay. which you were talking about before. Yeah. You called it what? Radical. Oh, Radical. Sorry. <laughs> the Radical Party, made up of middle-class citizens who were in favor of reforms. So like that grassroots yeah. kind of party. Right. Her father, Juan, who had benefited greatly from his friendships with those wealthy landowners, soon found himself without a job. He returned to his hometown of Chivilcoy to join his other family. So when he left, Juan turned his back on Juana and their five children. Eva was not yet a one-year-old oh, little boy. girl. That's sad. Yeah. So Juana and her children were forced to leave their home and move into a tiny house near the railroad tracks where Juana made a meager living from sewing clothes for the townspeople. Eva and her siblings had few friends, and they were kind of ostracized because of their illegitimacy 
it, that was considered kind of scandalous. Mm. Even though you say it happened often, I don't know. But this is the 1920s. This it's was the, that's yeah, true. There was so. a different time. In 1926, when Ava was six years old, her father was actually killed in a car accident. And Juana and the children traveled to Chivilcoy for his funeral, and they were treated pretty badly, as you can imagine, as outcasts by Juan's first family. That's also sad. Yeah, yeah, real humble upbringing, which really shaped some of her politics later. Yeah. Juana moved her family to a larger town, Hunin. I know about Hunin. You do? Yep. <laughs> it's in the province of Buenos Aires, outside of Buenos Aires, for okay. an hour or two. So, yeah, in the middle of the province, on the Pampas, outside of Buenos Aires, a couple hours. So they moved to Hunin in 1930 to seek more opportunities for her children. The older siblings found jobs, and Ava and her sister enrolled in school. Already struggling financially with the loss of their father meant greater hardships for the Peron family. Her oldest siblings... Juan and Elisa worked to help out. Also, another sister, Blanca, became a teacher. Peron's mother also took in boarders and cooked and worked as a seamstress. So it was a pretty rough time for the family. As a teenager, young Ava became fascinated with movies, and she loved American movie stars. Ava made it her mission to one day move to Buenos Aires the capital of Argentina, to become a famous actress. Against her mother's wishes, Ava made the move to Buenos Aires in 1935 after only two years of high school. She was only 15 years old. Her other brother, Juan, who had already moved to the capital city, was charged with keeping an eye on his little sister. There she worked odd jobs and landed some bit parts on the stage. Ava eventually found steady work at Radio Belgrano, the government-controlled radio station there in Buenos Aires. She had beauty, persistence, ambition, all of which would later become legendary. At this time, Buenos Aires was in great political change. The Radical Party had fallen out of power in 1935, and it was replaced by a coalition of conservatives and wealthy landowners known as the Concordancia. This group removed reformists from government positions and gave jobs to their own friends and followers. Those who resisted or complained were often sent to prison. Poor people and the working class felt powerless against the wealthy minority. Evita found herself among the poor. She sent money when she could to her mother. After her job at the radio station ended, she found work as an actress in a troupe that traveled to small towns throughout Argentina. After gaining some acting experience on the road, Ava worked as a radio soap opera actress and even secured a few small film roles. In 1939, she and a business partner started their own business called The Company of the Theater of the Air, which produced radio soap operas. And in 1943, Ava enjoyed one of her greatest successes. She signed on to portray a number of famous women in history on a special radio series, giving her chance to play roles like Queen Elizabeth I and Catherine the Great. By now, she was 24 years old. Evita had become successful and pretty well off. 
She lived in an apartment in a nice neighborhood. Her salary was now about $7,000 per week. Wow. On January 15, 1944, a massive earthquake struck western Argentina, killing like 6,000 people. In Buenos Aires, there was a relief effort led by a 48-year-old army colonel. His name was Juan Domingo Perón. He was the head of the nation's labor department. In this effort, he asked Argentina's performers to use their fame to promote this cause and raise money. So actors, singers, and others, even including Eva Duarte, walked down the streets of Buenos Aires to collect money for earthquake victims. The fundraising effort ended in a benefit held at a local stadium. Well, Evita's life was about to make another huge shift because it was here on January 22, 1944, that Eva met Colonel Juan Perón. Peron, a widower whose wife had died of cancer in 1938, was immediately drawn to Evita. The two soon became inseparable. She soon proved herself his most ardent supporter. She even used her position at the radio station to feature broadcast the praise Peron as a benevolent government figure. Evita very much understood the real problems and concerns of the working poor in Argentina, and she filled his agenda with labor concerns and populist issues. Perón was supported by many of the poor and those living in rural areas. Wealthy landowners, however, did not trust him and feared he wielded too much power. By 1945, Perón had achieved the lofty position of Minister of War and vice president, and was in fact more powerful than the president, Edomiro Farrell himself. Several groups, including the Radical Party, the Communist Party, and conservative factions, opposed Perón. They accused him of dictatorial behaviors, such as censorship of the media and brutality against university students during a peaceful demonstration. The final straw came when Perón appointed a friend of Eva's as Secretary of Communications, enraging those in government who believed Eva had become too involved in affairs of state. Perón was forced by a group of army officers to resign on October 8, 1945, and he was taken into custody. President Farrell, under pressure from the military, ordered that Perón be held on an island off the coast of Buenos Aires. Eva unsuccessfully appealed to a judge to have Perón released. Perón himself wrote a letter to the president demanding his release, and the letter was leaked to the newspapers. Members of the working class, Perón's staunchest supporters, came together to protest Perón's incarceration. And on the morning of October 17th, workers all over Buenos Aires refused to go to work. Shops, factories, and restaurants stayed closed as employees took to the streets chanting Perón. The protesters brought businesses to a grinding halt, forcing the government to release Perón. Hmm. <laughs> they, still, they still do that, and it's called a paro general, oh. a general oh. stop. Paro is like stop, and it's a general strike. Um, it's still a tactic going on there to this day. Wow. 
Four days later, on October 21st, 1945, Evita became one of the most powerful women of her time when she married Juan Perón. He was 50 years old and she was 26. Wow, that's interesting. Encouraged by strong show of support, Perón announced that he would run for president in the 1946 election. As the wife of a presidential candidate, Eva came under close scrutiny. Ashamed of her illegitimacy and childhood poverty, Eva was not always forthcoming with her answers when questioned by the press. Her secrecy contributed to her legacy, which was the white myth and the black myth of Eva Perón. In the white myth, Eva was saint-like, a compassionate woman who helped the poor and disadvantaged. In the black myth, she was depicted as ruthless and ambitious, willing to do anything to advance her husband's career. Ava soon quit her radio job and joined her husband on the campaign trail. Perone did not affiliate himself with a particular political party. Instead, he formed a coalition of supporters from different parties, made up primarily of workers and union leaders. Perone won the election and was sworn in on June 5, 1946. Perón inherited a country with a strong economy. Following World War II, many European nations in dire financial circumstances borrowed money from Argentina, and some were forced to import wheat and beef from Argentina as well. Perón's government profited from the arrangement, charging interest on the loans and fees on the exports from ranchers and farmers. Eva, who, as we know, liked to be called Evita, embraced her role as the First Lady. She lost no time and installed members of her own family in high government positions in areas such as the Postal Service, Education, and Customs. Evita visited workers and union leaders at factories, questioning them about their needs and inviting their suggestions. She also used these visits to give speeches in support of her husband. She remade her role of First Lady into a highly visible, politically powerful position. Her speaking style was very theatrical, with gestures at the podiums when she spoke to crowds, and her sense of fashion and glamour played well to her new kind of audiences, and they came out by the tens of thousands to hear her speak. Evita performed her ceremonial duties in the role of First Lady, in fact, became an ex-officio member of her husband's cabinet, setting up offices in the Ministry of Labor and Social Welfare, where she distributed, where she dispersed food, medical supplies, shelter, jobs, or money. Often deliberately in front of reporters and news cameras, she was the champion of the working class. She served her people face-to-face, working to fill their needs. If a mother could not find adequate medical care for her child, Evita saw to it that the child was taken care of. If a family lived in squalor, she arranged for better living quarters. Despite her good deeds, Eva Perón had many critics. They accused her of overstepping boundaries and interfering in the government's affairs, which sounds like she kind of did, right? Yeah. This skepticism toward the First Lady was reflected in negative reports about her in the press. 
In an effort to better control her image, Ava purchased her own newspaper, the Democracia. The newspaper gave heavy coverage to Ava, publishing favorable stories about her and printing glamorous photos of her attending galas. <laughs> newspaper sales soared. A year after the election, in June of 1947, Eva traveled to Spain for a two-month tour at the invitation of fascist dictator Francisco Franco. Argentina was the only nation that maintained a diplomatic relationship with Spain following World War II and had given financial aid to the struggling country. Perón met with numerous European dignitaries and heads of state in what was termed the Rainbow Tour. It was Ava's first trip on an airplane. Upon her arrival in Madrid, Ava was welcomed by more than 3 million people. After 15 days in Spain, Ava went on to tour Italy, Portugal, Switzerland, and France. In France, she met Cardinal Roncalli, who was the future Pope John XXIII, and he gave her a tour of Notre Dame Cathedral. In Rome, she met the Pope, Pius XII, in a private audience. After becoming well-known in Europe, Ava was also featured on the cover of Time magazine in July 1947. Her trip was a political and personal success, and when she returned home, it was to a hero's welcome. Capitalizing on the favorable press, Vita established the Ava Peron Foundation in 1947 in order to fund projects that benefited silent constituencies, children, the elderly, the homeless, and single parents. Funded by contributions from labor unions and other groups who dared not refuse Senora Peron, mm -hmm. the foundation worked at a fever pitch building housing, schools, orphanages, homes, and other charitable institutions. You can kind of see why the poor people really loved Evita. Yeah, she was their champion. The First Lady worked tirelessly into the early hours of the morning, and she demanded the very same from her staff. And although Ava never really held any government post, she unofficially ran the Ministries of Labor and Health, her foundation, and also founded and became president of the nation's first large-scale female political party, the Female Peronist Party, or Peronista Feminist Party, which supported the policies of, who else, but President Peron. She weekly reminded her loyal supporters of her husband's commitment to the people's needs in her newspaper column entitled, Ava Peron Says. And as head of the Peronista Feminista Party, she had her own march. Juan had the March of Peronista, and she had a march that they played, that they changed, same music that they changed the words and called it Evita, uh, Capitana Evita. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> Ava was largely... Ava was largely responsible for the passage of the women's suffrage laws in Argentina. She also introduced compulsory religious education in all Argentine schools. Even though the foundation received donations from businesses, unions, and workers, these donations were often coerced. People and organizations faced fines and even jail time if they did not contribute. 
Ava kept no written record of her expenditures, claiming that she was too busy giving the money away to the poor to stop and count it. Well, that, that's one way to go. I'm not sure, as um, our CPA expert here would say, that that would be the best way to Highly, do it. highly irregular. <laughs> Many people, having seen newspaper photos of Ava dressed in expensive dresses and jewels, suspected her of keeping some of the money for herself but these charges could never be proven. But then in 1950, Evita suffered terribly from abdominal pain. And from what I could find, it seemed that the doctors believed that she had cancer, but they kept it from her and the public. And she declined having exploratory surgery, claiming that her work schedule just wouldn't allow time for it. The following year, Juan Perón and his wife made a bid to run together for president and vice president. But after a rally in support of her nomination attended by millions of supporters, Evita turned down the nomination in an emotional radio address saying, I am renouncing the honor, but not the fight. Many believe that she withdrew not because of her illness, but because she feared the military would not support a female candidate. And the very next day, she collapsed. She campaigned untiringly for her husband, but suffered terrible abdominal pain. Evita finally consented to undergo exploratory surgery. And afterwards, she was diagnosed with inoperable uterine cancer. But one of the things she had done was bring about the vote for women in Argentina. Evita said, the nation's government has just handed me the bill that grants us our civil rights. I am receiving it before you, certain that I am accepting this on behalf of all Argentinian women, and I can feel my hands tremble with joy as they grasp the laurel proclaiming victory. On election day in November, a ballot was brought to her hospital bed and Ava and four million women voted for the first time and Juan Perón won the election. She delivered her last speech in May 1952, weighing only 77 pounds. Oh. She attacked her husband's foes while upholding the ideals of Peronismo. Frail and emaciated from cancer, Argentina's first lady assisted on attending her husband's inauguration in June. It would be her last public appearance. Shortly before her death, she was given the title Spiritual Leader of the Nation by the Argentine Congress. Her people had prayed for her recovery, but Eva Perón died at 8.25 p.m. on July 26, 1952, at the age of 33. She was in the presidential palace with her husband, her mother, and sister by her side. When the news of her death was confirmed, the outpouring of grief from her people was unprecedented. Evita, it is said, was like a deity to the people. She meant more to them than the Mother Mary. On Sunday, July 27th, Evita's body was transferred to the auditorium of the Ministry of Labor, where she had worked for so many years. In the morning, the immediate family attended a private mass conducted by Evita's spiritual advisor. Her body was encased in a white mahogany casket with a glass cover. That's just kind of like Snow White. I know, right? Yeah. It's kind of crazy. You know, talk in Argentina is that um, Walt Disney traveled to Argentina prior to 
um, doing Snow White and a lot of the forests and scenery in Snow White, Snow White are based on um, the southern Patagonia mountains and in the Andes down by Bariloche. Well, I wonder if he got the idea of the glass coffin. I don't know. From Snow White predates this, I think. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Maybe they got the idea from Snow White. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> okay. And the connection of Snow White to southern Argentina. Right. White orchids cascade down the beer, which had been placed in a flower-filled second-floor auditorium that served as a makeshift chapel. Argentine flags draped in black flew at half-staff. Buildings and lampposts in Buenos Aires were similarly shrouded in black bunting. The, governor, the government imposed a 30-day mourning period, and its ministers were made to wear black armbands. Those that did not were arrested. So South America. There you go. The government forbade radio stations from playing anything but religious music or news of Evita's funeral from the time of her death until July 31st, five days later. Nothing but religious music or news of her funeral was the only thing that could be played for five days. Okay. And, and then the stations were allowed to play classical music and news of Perón's lying in state. Hmm. A ban on dance music was even enforced until August 26, one month after her death. Wow. The General Confederation of Labor called for a work stoppage for two days, later adding a third day. The country came to a standstill. Ships could not be unloaded, food could not be delivered. There were no taxis, shops, and restaurants. All businesses were closed. Wow. Even the Argentine athletes that competed in the Olympic Summer Games in Helensky wore black armbands to their meets. One of the athletes said, quote, the death of the senora was a terrible handicap for me and all Argentine athletes. While President Perón prayed at his wife's bier, Evita's devoted followers rushed the Ministry of Labor building the Sunday morning after her death, overcoming a police barricade only to be stopped at the doors by guards. Eventually, the mourners who had waited in lines four abreast for 10 blocks were admitted to pay their respects. The original plan for the lying in state was to be two days with the funeral on the third day, but with the massive outpouring of grief, they left Evita's body on view for 13 days. Hundreds of thousands of people traveled to Buenos Aires to glimpse La Dama de la Esperanza, the Lady of Hope. Every day the mourners stood for over 10 hours, at times in the winter rain, to say goodbye to their idol. When I read this, I was like, winter rain in July? But... It's the Southern Hemisphere and the seasons are reversed and July yeah. is the equivalent of January here. Yeah. Dead winter. So I was, anyway, it just confused me for a minute because I never, I don't think about that, right? Because we live in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm -hmm. Florists in Buenos Aires were quickly out of supplies and plane loads of fresh flowers arrived daily to meet the demand. There were so many floral bouquets and wreaths placed in front of the Ministry of Labor that the mountain of flowers rose to the second floor where Evita was laid. 
On day two of Evita's lying in state, the masses of people became hysterical, and at least four people, but maybe as many as eight, were trampled to death. 2,000 mourners were injured. Crazy, right? Mm. Grieving citizens held torchlight vigils in the main squares of Buenos Aires every night at 8.25, the exact time of her death. After more than two weeks of lying in state, Evita Perón's funeral finally took place. She received a funeral with honors befitting a president who had died in office. You know, the thing that this makes me think of more recently in our times, this was like when Princess Diana died. You know, it was something akin to that, that big. Maybe not all the hysteria, but right. all the flowers and I thought of that earlier outpouring too. of yeah. and mourning of, of the public. It really sounds yeah. like that. On the day of the funeral, the procession left at 10.15 on Sunday, August 9th. Pallbearers placed Evita's coffin on a gun carriage to travel the 15-block route to the National Congress building. Accompanied by Chopin's funeral march, the cortege departed the Ministry of Labor building along the Avenida de Maixo, site of many of Evita's grandest rallies. The gun carriage was pulled by three rows of workers, men and women of the GCL, the Peronist Women's Party, wearing black pants and white shirts. Set on top of the carriage and wrapped in an Argentine flag was Evita's small silver adorned cedar coffin. Military troops lined the route too deep and presented arms as the cortege passed. Walking behind the carriage, President Perón led the chief mourning party of cabinet ministers and dignitaries, nurses from the Eva Perón Foundation, union workers and students flanked the elected officials. Hundreds of thousands stood along the one-mile route. Evita's body then lay in state at the Congress building for 24 hours. Again, crowds gathered to view her body. The Argentine government requested that 20th Century Fox send a Technicolor film crew to record the two-day event. On Monday, the 10th of August, seven speakers eulogized Eva Perón at the Congress building before her coffin was transferred to the majestic General Confederation of Labor building, where a lecture hall would serve as a temporary mausoleum. Interior Minister Angel Borlangi referred to the First Lady as both a saint and a good fairy. More than two million mourners lined the streets to say their farewell. Along the Avenida de Maixo, windows were filled with onlookers who threw flowers onto the passing coffin. A funeral float depicting a giant pair of open hands symbolizing Evita's generosity bore her words, where there is a worker, there lies a nation. So can I have a parade when I die? Like, can there be floats in my parade? Floats are happy. I guess that's a good thing, right? Yeah. You know? So on and the way, like from the church to the cemetery, could there be like floats, you know, and marching bands? And, and floats with quilts. Yeah. <laughs> and and a big microphone or something. We can, we can check it. We'll that. talk about it. Okay. Yeah. Others carried lit torches representing the eternal flame that would burn in her memory at the Ava Perón Foundation building. Workers threw 
flower petals in front of the float that carried the message, the flame of your memory will forever live in our hearts. Even though things had gone smoothly with the funeral procession thus far, tragedy struck on this final day when 12 people were killed in the crush and another 4,000 were injured. So what are we at now? At least 16 people died and 6,000 Wow. That's the wild. hospitals are overrun. Probably. Good thing she built so many hospitals, so yeah. at her funeral they could be full. That is totally crazy, but what happened next is totally unbelievable. Following the funeral, Ava's body was preserved and worked on by a Spanish embalmer for more than a year in anticipation of its permanent display. However, President Perón was forced into exile when the army staged a coup and threw him out of office in 1955. And amid all the chaos, Ava's body disappeared. What? <laughs> you know, right? That's it's like, crazy. what? It's just so crazy. Not only that, she was missing for 16 years. Wow. According to the website Britannica, her working class followers tried unsuccessfully to have her canonized, and her enemies, in an effort to exercise her as a national symbol of Peronismo, stole her embalmed body in 1955 after Juan Perón was overthrown and secreted it away to Italy for 16 years. Hmm. In 1971, the military government, bowing to the Peronist demands, turned over her remains to her exiled widower in Madrid. After Juan Perón died in office in 1974, his third wife, Isabel Perón, hoping to gain favor among the populace, repatriated the remains and installed them next to the deceased leader in a crypt in the presidential palace. Two years later, a new military junta, hostile to Peronismo, removed the bodies. Ava's remains were finally interred in the Duarte family crypt in La Recoleta Cemetery in Buenos Aires. Can you even believe that? Like her poor, this was something that you had told me before that you remembered that her body had just gone, you know, all these places and it's like, oh, just, can we yeah. let her rest in peace? So finally, after nearly 20 years, she was able to be placed in her family's tomb. And so that wasn't until 1971, it was learned that soldiers in the new government, fearing Ava's tomb would become a shrine for the poor, that's like they thought they had to get rid of it. But... And during that time, it was like there was reports that her body was stashed in different places, including an attic and a trunk on a military base. So no one really knew where she was for a long time. But the mystery ended when a note in the will of a former Argentine leader said that she was buried in a cemetery in Milan, Italy, in a simple black coffin where then the exiled um, Juan Perón and his third wife, Isabel, took possession of it in September of 1971. And some reports have claimed that the body was still perfectly preserved, while others claimed that it had been mutilated. 
too. Yeah. So then it was eventually returned, reburied in her family's crypt in 1976. Wow. I know. And so I was in Buenos Aires in 1983 and 84. So it hadn't, hadn't even been there 10 it years. Hadn't been there that long. She died in 1952. And yeah. That, wow. I so almost, they says it was over. It was over 20 years. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Ava remains an enduring cultural icon in Argentina and Latin America. And in many places, people still honor the anniversary of her death. In some groups, she has attained an almost saint-like status. In 2012, her image was printed on 20 million Argentine 100 peso notes. Ava inspired numerous books and other works, both in Argentina and abroad. Notably, her life was the basis for the musical Evita in 1978 by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice. It was later adopted into a film in 1996 starring Madonna. But Madonna just isn't as pretty as Ava Perone. No, she's unworthy. She probably did an okay job, but yeah. Ava was really beautiful, and I have pictures that I'll share of her. Here's a few quotes from Evita. Quote, even as a little girl, I wanted to recite. It was as though I wished to say something to others, something important, which I felt in my deepest heart. She also said, I know that like every woman of the people, I have more strength than I appear to have. I like that one. We've all found out we're capable of more than we think we are, sometimes the mm. hard way. Mm. I think as women, like, we're considered like the weaker sex or that we don't have a lot of strength sometimes, but I think we have emotional strength and we have the strength to do hard things that maybe that people don't think that we have. Then there was one that said, there are some oligarchs that make me want to bite them just as one crunches into a carrot or a radish. Interesting. Another quote, I had watched for many years and seen how few rich families held much of Argentina's wealth and power in their hands. So Perón and the government brought in an eight-hour working day, sickness pay, and fair wages to give poor workers a fair go. Interesting story, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And she is still, in my memory, as big as ever in Argentina. Yeah. She is huge and, like I say, revered. So it was really interesting to me to research this and to really find out why she was so revered and you can kind of understand like how she meant because let's face it the majority of the people were poor and so when she was doing so much to help build them up and to help them get on their feet and live better she gained a lot of respect and love from these people and that was true of the argentina that i experienced they were very rich the rich were very rich and the poor were very poor and you right. know, and I lived and worked among the very poor. Yeah. And there is not much of a middle class. Very, very small, one room, dirt floor. Yeah. Um, there would be homes. one payphone in, in the whole town where I lived. Nobody had a phone. This is pre-cell phone days, of course. Now I think right. it's quite common. But in the 80s, like, of course, we all had, like, 
three phones in our home. And so. nobody had cars. It was all public transportation, trains and colectivo buses, as they were known. Mm -hmm. um, very poor. Yeah. People bought enough food for what they needed for that day and didn't have money to stock up for lean times. It, but good, good people. Yeah. Yeah. You learned to love them, didn't you? Yep. As you look up at the Grand Frise as we depart from Recoleta Cemetery, it leaves us with these words, Expectimus Dominum, we expect the Lord. This was Stones, Bones, and Shadows. You can see photos and more information about the cemeteries we explore and find our sources at stonesbonesandshadowspodcast.com. Also, don't forget to check us out on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok, where you can interact with us. As always, we love to hear from our listeners. Thank you.